0: Hello everyone, this is Father Michael. I want to share a story with you that really I think is an amazing way to rediscover your appreciation for the Eucharist, uh, for the Lord's Day. And it's really uh, just a powerful story. Um, You know, if you don't Understand something, it's really kind of hard to appreciate it, right? You know, if you watch football and you've never understood the game, it's kind of hard to sit there and appreciate it, right? If you've watched uh, Olympics and you don't understand the game in the Olympics, it's kind of hard to appreciate it. That goes with any, you know, basketball, football, soccer, you know, on and on, hockey, you know, you name it. Name something you don't understand, and it's kind of really hard to sit and appreciate it. And so. This story really captures an appreciation for what the heart of the Eucharist is about. And so, please listen in now as I let Matthew Kelly tell this story.
1: Imagine this. You're driving home from school or work next Monday, and you tune in your radio, and you hear a little blurb about a village in India where three or four people have suddenly died from a mystery flu, a flu that's never been seen before. You don't think too much about it, right? I mean, people die every day. There's stories like this on the news every day of your life. But coming home from church the following Sunday, you hear another spot on the radio. Only now they say, it's not just three or four people who are dead, but 30,000 people dead in the Black Hills of India. Everybody's wondering how are we gonna contain this thing? They send over some expert doctors to study it. Following morning when you wake up, you hear it's not just India now, but Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, this thing's spreading throughout the world. And that's when the president of France makes an announcement that shocks all of Europe. He's closing the borders. Nobody in, nobody out. But it's too late. And that night, as you watch CNN, you hear a little spot about two women dying of the mystery flu, in a hospital in Paris. It's come to Europe. Britain closes its borders, but it's too late. And the disease breaks out in Liverpool, Southampton, London. And all of a sudden, everybody's wondering, what if it comes to America? That's when the president of the United States makes an announcement. He's closing the US borders. No flights in, no flights out. And his message to people who have loved ones overseas? I'm sorry. They cannot come home until we find a cure for this thing. Panic strikes, as best they can tell, after you contract the disease, you have it for a week before you even know you have it. Then you have four days of unbelievable symptoms, and then you just die. There's no cure, there's no vaccine. Nobody knows how to treat it. America is plunged into an unbelievable fear People are saying, what if it comes to this country? Preachers on television are saying, it's the scourge of God. And on Wednesday night, you're at church for a meeting when someone comes racing in from the parking lot screaming, turn on a radio, turn on a TV. The announcement is made. A man is dying in New York City of the mystery flu. It's come to America. Within hours, the disease envelops the country. California, Oregon, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, Florida. It's as if it's just sweeping in from the borders. People are working around the clock, trying to find an antidote, but nothing is working. Then all of a sudden, the news comes out. The code has been broken. Cure can be found. A vaccine can be made. But it's going to take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected. And so you and I, everybody, asked to do just one thing. Go to your local hospital, and have your blood tested. Sounds simple enough. So you head down to your, to your local hospital. Sure enough, by the time you get there, it's late Friday night, they've got long lines of people, and they've got doctors and nurses coming out and taking blood and putting labels on it, and they take your blood, and they say, wait here in the parking lot until we call your name. But they're not calling any names. They're just taking blood. Everyone who shows up, they're just taking their blood and taking the blood into the hospital, and they're not calling anyone's names. And you sit around and you wait, scared wondering, what on earth is going on here? Then all of a sudden, someone comes racing out of the hospital, screaming a name and waving a clipboard. You don't hear them at first. They scream a name again. You don't hear them again. But then your son, he tugs at your jacket, and he says, that's me. That's my name they're calling. Before you know it, they've grabbed your son, they're racing him into the hospital. You run after them, you say, wait a minute, hold on, where are you going, what are you doing? That's my son. They say, it's okay. We think he's got the right blood type. We just need to check one more time. Five tense minutes later, out come the doctors and nurses, crying, hugging one another. Some of them are even laughing. It's the first time you've seen anybody laugh in more than a week. And an old grey-haired doctor comes up to you with an enormous smile and he says, thank you. Your son's blood, it's perfect. It's clean. It's pure. He doesn't have the disease. We can use it to make a vaccine and put an end to this thing once and for all. As that news begins to spread across the parking lot, people begin to scream and pray and laugh and cry. But then the grey-haired doctor, he pulls you and your spouse aside and he says, can I see you for a minute? You step over and he says, we didn't realize it would be a child, and so we're going to need you to sign a consent form. You don't think too much about it. You begin to sign the form, but as you do, you realize that there's a box for the number of pints of blood to be taken, and you notice that the box is empty. So you look up at the doctor and you say, how many pints? the doctor looks away he says we didn't realize it would be a child you look at the doctor again you say how many points and that is when the old doctor's smile fades he says we're gonna need it all (laughs) you're gonna need what, what do you mean you're gonna need it all he's my only son doctor grabs you by the shoulders he shakes she says we're talking about the whole world here do you understand that the whole world you say but i mean can't you can't you give him a transfusion doctor says if we had clean blood we would but we don't please we need to hurry we need you to sign the form what would you do well you sign the form because you realize it's the only thing to do and then the doctor says to you would you like to have a moment with your son before we get started? Could you walk back into that hospital room where, where your son sits there saying, mommy, daddy, what's going on? Could you tell your son you love him? What would you say to him when he says to you, it's okay, mom, it's okay, dad. I'm happy to sign the form. I'm happy to consent. I'm happy to lay down my life, so that others can live. And then when the doctors and nurses say, we're well, sorry, you'll have to leave now. We have to get started. Millions of people are dying all around the world. Could you leave? I mean, could you leave? Could you just turn around and walk out while your son sits there saying, mommy, daddy, where are you going? What's going on? Why are you leaving? why have you abandoned me? And then next Sunday, when they hold a ceremony to honour your son and his phenomenal contributions to humanity, a whole bunch of people don't bother to come because they got better things to do. Some people come with a pretentious smile and pretend to care. And another bunch of people sit around and say, this is pretty boring. Wouldn't you want to say something? I mean, wouldn't you want to stand up and say, excuse me, I don't know, I don't know if you people are aware of it or not, but my son, he died so that you could have the incredible life you have. Maybe that's what God wants to say. Maybe we need a new perspective. Maybe we need to, to get out of our self-centeredness, our self-absorbedness. Maybe we need a perspective other than what's in it for me. There's something about coming before our God on a Sunday and worshiping Him. There's something about coming before our God on a Sunday and saying thank you and just being grateful. There's something about showing up to mass on Sunday because God shows up for us every single day of our lives.
0: Thank you guys for listening. Isn't that a powerful, powerful story? Again, if you want to listen to the the live version on YouTube, I just would encourage you to go to YouTube, type Session 7 Epidemic, and you'll see it there. And it's uh, it's just powerful because, you know, let's be honest. um, We don't understand. We're in this life on earth, and this life is so short. And we really don't understand what happened on Calvary. We, we have, you know, we know Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but that might be the only thing we've ever heard. But did you ever think about it um, in the way that Matthew Kelly tells that story? Um, you know, that it's His blood that the Father gave His only Son Think about that. You know, for you that are for those of you that are parents, think of the love you have for your kids. You know, when you go to mass, think of the father's heart, how, you know, he had to give up. Willingly gave up his only son for you to have the cure, the vaccine for your sin, so that you and I could be cleansed of our sins and live forever. You know, that story is about Um, living um, a life on earth, you know, which is great. But nothing compares with eternal life. You know, Mother Teresa says, if I can give you any advice, she says, I beg you to get closer to the Eucharist and to Jesus. You know, the word Eucharist in Greek means thank you. After that story, you could see how you come to Mass not thinking about what am I going to get out of it. But you come to Mass to say thank you. And again, we don't say thank you when we don't realize that everything is a gift. You know, how many times have we not said thank you? It's because we haven't realized that we're receiving a gift. Um, Jesus is the gift from the Father. and, And if we don't see Christ as an important or integral part of our life, or the Eucharist is just optional, then we're not going to be grateful. You know, St. John Bosco, another saint, says, The longer you stay away from communion, the more your soul will become weak, and in the end you will become dangerously indifferent. And what's he talking about? He's just talking about, you know, we need the Eucharist to feed our souls. This is for our souls. This is food for our souls. So, you know, Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life. Right? Right? I am the bread of life. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. John chapter 6. So in what ways do you need Jesus to feed you? What good things are you hungry for? Um, so just just want to encourage you. I'm in this time to rediscover the Eucharist. This is the great mystery of faith we proclaim at every Mass. And please take time to come to adoration where here at St. James, we have Jesus exposed in the Blessed Sacrament from Sunday evening at 6 p.m. all the way through until Thursday midnight, um, 24 hours each of those days. So just come Sunday 6 p.m. all the way to Thursday midnight. Come and see Him. Come and say thank you. Come and experience the grace of the Holy Eucharist. When will you start? When will you start?